In my opinion, one of the most classic and most insightful statements of all time was made by Dr. Dave Brees when he said, and I quote, With the occult, Satan has trapped thousands, but with false doctrine, he has trapped millions. What an insightful statement. With the occult, that is Satanism, witchcraft, black magic, all of those things that we we usually associate with the work of Satan. With the occult, Satan has trapped thousands, but with false doctrine, he has trapped millions. The reason that is true is because, for the most part, people refuse to accept the fact that Satan loves to promote religion. That is, that is inconceivable to most people. That is contradictory to the minds of most people. They assume that everything religious is good and that Satan hates everything to do with religion. You know what? Satan loves people to believe that. He loves to make people secure in religion. He is the master deceiver. He loves to work in and through religion. That has always been the case, and it will reach its climax during the future seven-year tribulation period. That's the subject of the text we come to in this message, so please turn with me to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation chapter 17. And please follow along as I read the first six verses of Revelation chapter 17. Then one of the seven, seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on the scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her, head, and on her forehead a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. The future seven-year tribulation period is going to be a time of chaos and destruction unlike anything this world has ever known. As a result, people are going to be turning to religion for answers to all the catastrophes that will be taking place when the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments are being meted out upon the earth. Even though people will be rejecting the truth, hating Christ, blaspheming God, and shaking their fist in defiance of God, they will be turning to religion more than ever. Religion will run rampant 
during the seven-year tribulation period. In fact, religion will be a dominant force of the end times. That's what we see depicted here in this 17th chapter. As we read these verses together, you probably noticed what God calls this future one-world religion. He calls it Babylon the Great. It will be the culmination of all of man's religions wrapped up together, and God will see to it that it is destroyed once and for all. The destruction of Babylon has already been foretold or predicted in the book of Revelation. For example, go back with me to chapter 14, just a few pages to the left. Chapter 14, verse 8. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This announcement here in chapter 14 is anticipatory. It hasn't happened at this time, but it will happen. It is certain that it will happen. God is going to destroy the entire idolatrous system of the end times. Skip over to chapter 16, verse 19. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So before you get to chapter 17, there are two passages here in the book of Revelation in which we are told that Babylon is going to be destroyed, but no information is given about what Babylon is or why it will be destroyed. The question is just left hanging there. Chapters 17 and 18 fill in that void. In chapter 17, we are told about the destruction of religious Babylon. And in chapter 18, we are told about the destruction of political slash economic Babylon. The way the term Babylon is used in these two chapters seems to depict both a city and a system. This is very similar to the way we use the term Wall Street or Madison Avenue. Both of those are actual streets, but they also stand for the financial Wall Street or advertising enterprises when we say Madison Avenue. In the same way, when John uses the term Babylon, he is referring to a literal city, and he is referring to the religious, political, and commercial enterprises represented by the anti-God system that will dominate the end times. It's interesting to note that back in 1986, Saddam Hussein, when he was still alive, began to rebuild ancient Babylon, which is about 50 miles south of Baghdad. So it's possible, possible, that that city will be the capital of the Antichrist empire. Or it might be another city that God calls by the name Babylon because of its character. For example, in Revelation 11.8, the city of Jerusalem is called Sodom and Egypt 
because of its wickedness, its unfaithfulness. Now, Jerusalem is Jerusalem. But it is sometimes called by another name to portray or describe or depict what it is like. It may be that the capital of the Antichrist empire will not actually be the city of Babylon in Iraq, but it is called Babylon by God because that designation describes the character of what the city will be like. Now, have I completely confused you? What I'm trying to say is this. The Babylon referred to in Revelation 17 and 18 may be headquartered in the ancient city of Babylon, or it may not. But the whole system is called by God Babylon because it will be the accomplishment of what the human race tried to do back in Genesis 11 when they tried to build the city of Babylon as a rival empire and religion in place of the true God. By the way, as a side note, very few people make this connection because when they think of Genesis 11, they think of the Tower of Babel and they don't connect this with Babylon which is what it is. We should connect it in our minds. Because Genesis 11 records what we call the Tower of Babel, but in reality it was the attempt of the human race to try to build the city of Babylon as a rival empire and religion in place of the true God. So that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to understand in chapters 17 and 18. What the human race tried to do in Genesis 11, they will eventually do by the end times, which is what will be destroyed in chapters 17 and 18, or as, as it is described in these two chapters. As I just mentioned, the entire Babylonian system began in Genesis 11, about 5,000 years ago, under the leadership of a man named Nimrod. Extra-biblical sources indicate that the wife of Nimrod became the head of the Babylonian mysteries, which consisted of religious rites that were part of the worship of idols in Babylon. Her name, by the way, was Semiramis, and she supposedly gave birth to a son, Tammuz, who claimed to be a savior and the fulfillment of the promise given to Eve in Genesis 3.15. Interestingly, Semiramis said that Tammuz was virgin-born. She said she became impregnated by a sunbeam. That was the beginning of the counterfeit, anti-God, Babylonian religion. As the story goes, Tammuz was eventually killed by a wild boar. Semiramis cried for 40 days until Tammuz was eventually raised from the dead. Another little side note, that's where the practice of Lent originated. When God scattered the people of Babylon, they took the seeds of this religion with them throughout the world. And that's why there is this mother-child worship in many different cultures of our world. If you've ever studied cultural anthropology or, or history, you see this. It's Isis and Horus in Egypt. It's Aphrodite and Eros in Greece. It's Venus and Cupid in Italy. It's throughout the world. The mother is often called the queen of heaven. This anti-God Babylonian religion is alluded to in Ezekiel 8.14, Jeremiah 7.18, Jeremiah 44.17-19, and Jeremiah 44, verse 25. 
The queen of heaven in those passages is the goddess Ishtar. Some of the other elements of this religion were sanctification through purgatory, the use of holy water, the eating of the wafer that was presented to the queen of heaven. Eventually, the Babylonian cultists moved to Pergamum. Crowns in the shape of a fish head were worn by the chief priests of the Babylonian cult to honor the fish god. The crowns bore the words, Keeper of the Bridge, symbolic of the bridge between man not God and God, but man and Satan. This handle was adopted by the Roman emperors who used the Latin title Pontifex Maximus which means major keeper of the bridge. And the same title was later used by the Bishop of Rome. The Pope today is often called the Pontiff, which comes from Pontifex. When the teachers of the Babylonian mystery religions later moved from Pergamum to Rome, they were influential in paganizing Christianity and were the source of many so-called religious rites that have crept into ritualistic churches throughout the world today. So you can see how this whole system has spread throughout the world and has permeated virtually everything religious. And it will all come together again in the future. And God will see to it that it is destroyed once and for all. That's what chapters 17 and 18 of the book of Revelation are about. Now, a little bit of background before we jump in. At this point in the text, there's a sense in which time stands still. The seventh bowl of wrath described in chapter 16, verses 17 through 21, right? Leading into chapter 17. That is right near the end of the great tribulation period. That may not be obvious since the actual second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ isn't described until chapter 19, Verses 11 through 21. But what we have in chapter 17, verse 1, through chapter 19, verse 10, is an intercalation or a lengthy footnote that describes the results of God's devastating judgment on Babylon and why God has judged Babylon with such severity. So with that in mind, let's jump into this 17th chapter of Revelation, see what John describes to us. Verse 1, he says, Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls, came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. This verse links this chapter with the seven bowls of wrath described in chapter 16. It is a further indication that chapters 17 and 18 are not advancing the chronology of the story of the book of Revelation. They are simply putting it on hold, if you will, going back and describing what was destroyed when the seventh bowl of wrath was poured out and the cities of the nations fell and Babylon was forced to drink the cup of the wine of the fierceness of God's wrath. Religious Babylon is described here in verse 1 as the great harlot. 
If you have read much of the Bible, especially Hebrew Scripture or the Old Testament, then you are familiar with this picture. False religion is often described as harlotry. That's because God describes his relationship with his people as a marriage. It's a common picture. Therefore, whenever people refuse the Lord, whenever they refuse the true God and turn to other gods, other things, other religions, it is described not only as idolatry, but harlotry. In fact, look at what is said over in chapter 21. Just turn a few pages to the right. Chapter 21, verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. Here is the true church, pictured as a bride or a wife, and that's why the false church is pictured in chapter 17 as a harlot. Now back to chapter 17. The angel of verse 1 says, The harlot sits on many waters. The picture of sitting on many waters conveys the idea of supremacy, uh, rulership, uh, dominance, that type of thing. Down in verse 15 of this chapter, we are told that the waters represent peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages, or tongues, depending on your translation. Just as a ruler sits on his throne and rules his kingdom, so also will the harlot rule over many peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Beloved, the day is coming when there will be a one-world religion. No doubt about it. Somehow, it will be composed of Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, Islam, Catholicism, liberal Protestantism, and probably a whole lot more. It amazes me, it amazes me to see how many Christians today are pushing to set aside crucial, essential, critical pivotal doctrines of the Word of God to try to forge a unity in Christendom which cannot exist. Thankfully, there are those with enough discernment to refuse to participate in such an amalgamation. But someday it will happen. When the true church is taken out of the way, consisting of those who genuinely know Christ as personal Lord and Savior, then that will clear the way for the merger of all religions. And this harlot church will be pervasive. Look at verse 2. It says, With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. This final one-world religion will be embraced by and endorsed by the world's political leaders and by the people of the world. Two groups are mentioned here in this verse. The kings of the earth and the inhabitants of the earth. Well, that covers everybody. The leaders of the world and the people of the world. They will all embrace the great harlot. From what John tells us later in this chapter... It seems that the people of the world embrace this religion because they love it. 
But the leaders of the world will embrace this religion so they can use it. They will use it because it is necessary to use it to promote themselves and their agendas for the nations of the world. Notice that this verse says that they will all commit fornication with her. It doesn't say adultery in the Greek text. I consulted a few English translations this afternoon. I noticed the NIV, unfortunately, says adultery. I'm not sure about all the translations. But it's literally, in the Greek text, fornication, not adultery. Fornication, that's an important distinction. It is not technically spiritual adultery because this church isn't really God's wife. This church isn't the Lamb's bride. When God's people are unfaithful to Him, then that is spiritual adultery. And God uses that picture often in Hebrew Scripture of His people Israel and their unfaithfulness to Him. And He calls that adultery. The New Testament uses the same word picture. James, for example, says, You adulterers and adulteresses. And in the context, He's talking about those who love the world and have ceased, God's people who love the world have ceased loving the Lord and they are committing spiritual adultery. Adultery. But that's not what this is. This is spiritual fornication because this church never really belonged to the Lord anyway. This church never was the true bride of the Lamb. This church was a harlot from the very beginning. So the intercourse that will take place between this church and the kings of the world is described as spiritual fornication. The last phrase in the verse says, the whole world will be drunk with the wine of her fornication. The world as a whole will reject the true Christ. They will reject His witnesses, whether it be the 144,000 from Revelation 7, the two special witnesses from Revelation 11. They will reject His witnesses and they will believe the false prophet And embrace the false religious system. In fact, this verse says they will be drunk with this final false religious system. No wonder God's judgment will be so severe. Verse 3 says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads, and ten horns. We know who this beast is. We know who it is. It is this is the Antichrist and his one world government. Back in chapter 13, he is specifically called the beast from the sea. In that chapter, nothing was said about his color. But here he is colored scarlet. That's the color of royalty. It's the color of blood. And according to Isaiah, it's the color of sin. So John sees this royal, sinful, bloody beast. And he will be all of that. The Antichrist will be the most powerful ruler the world has ever known. So he will be royalty. He will also be the most sinful man the world has ever known. Although it might not be readily apparent to everyone. In his heart, he will despise God, despise Christ, and he will blaspheme them in unparalleled ways. 
probably the most common description of the Antichrist found in Scripture. Whether you consult Daniel's prophecies, Jesus' Uh, Jesus' teaching in Matthew 24 and 25, or the book of Revelation, probably the most common description of the Antichrist is his blasphemy. He will despise God. He will hate Christ. He will blaspheme them in unparalleled ways. So he will be sinful. He will be royal. He will be sinful. And he will be bloody. He will persecute the saints in ways that go beyond Antiochus Epiphanes and go beyond Hitler. Jesus said in speaking to the Jewish people in Matthew 24 in his great Olivet Discourse, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Get out of Get out of the land of Israel, Jewish people, because then there will be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until that day or ever shall be. Everything everything that the Jewish people have faced, all the things they have faced, down through the centuries, and it has been severe if you know your history, but all they have faced will pale in comparison to what will happen in the end times. He will persecute the saints in ways that go beyond Antiochus Epiphanes and go beyond Hitler. His hands will be soaked with blood, as it were. He will be scarlet in every sense of the term. So John sees the harlot sitting on the beast. That signifies the fact that the beast will support the harlot for a while... And the harlot will ride the beast for a while. However, the beast will really only be using the harlot because the time will come when he will devour the harlot and demand that all the world worship him. The time will come when he will say enough of this religion, enough of this conglomeration of religion and worship that goes on. I'm doing away with it and everyone will worship me. We're told that in verse 16. Skip down a few verses Verse 16 says, The ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. In other words, the Antichrist and his sub-rulers, the other rulers of the world, will use this false religious system to unify the world. But in time they will turn on her and destroy her. First, they will rob her of everything, all of her wealth. They will devour her, then burn her. Eat her flesh, take from her, and then destroy her. And then as we see in chapter 13, the Antichrist will demand that all the world worship him. But for a while, for a while, the Antichrist will allow the woman to ride on him, as John sees back in verse 3. He also saw this beast as having seven heads and ten horns. The angel interprets this for us in verses 9 through 13. Look at verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue for a short time. 
The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. Now, Lord willing, next week we'll unravel this this in more detail because it does come across as confusing. But just for now, the seven heads and the ten horns are a reference to seven kingdoms and ten kings. This shows us how widespread the Antichrist's political alliances will be. And they will all be blasphemous. All of them. John says at the end of verse 3 that the scarlet beast was full of names of blasphemy. All the rulers of the world will be blaspheming God and blaspheming Christ during the tribulation. All the rulers of the world. But the greatest blasphemer of all will be the Antichrist himself. Back in chapter 13, verse 5, John says, And he was given a mouth speaking monstrous things and blasphemies. Verse 6 of that same chapter, chapter 13 says, Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme, blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It's always been an interesting phrase to me. So, to whom is that referring? He's going to blaspheme those who dwell in heaven? Well, it could be the angels. Angels dwell in heaven. But it could be the church, which is in heaven. And blaspheme the church, the people of God, blaming them for all of the catastrophes that happen on planet Earth. The Antichrist and all of his sub-kings will be vehement blasphemers. They won't have any regard for the true God of heaven. They won't have any regard for the true Christ of God. They won't have any love for the truth of God's word. But they will use the harlot religion to advance their world agenda. The harlot church is described further in verse 4. It says in verse 4, as John continues his description... He says, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. The harlot will appear beautiful to the inhabitants of the earth. She will be royal. She will be noble. She will be wealthy. She'll be very wealthy. After all, religion is big business. John emphasizes her wealth by saying she will be adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup. The non-discerning people of this world will be lured in by her appearance. She looks like a queen. She looks like a queen, but in reality she's a harlot. Her beautiful golden cup is not full of refreshing, tasty wine. It's not full of uh, refreshing, tasty fruit of the vine. It is full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. She's not the true church. She is not the true church. She is not purely devoted 
to the true Christ. She is a harlot. She has prostituted herself by selling out to the kings and rulers of the world. And God considers that kind of religion a filthy abomination. Verse 5 tells us, And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. What a name. What a title. Mystery Babylon the Great. The word mystery tells us that this religious system cannot be completely limited to any one religion now in existence, though it will probably have remnants of many. After all, as I said earlier, it goes back to the one religion of Babylon in Genesis 11. The people united together to make a name for themselves and to establish their own rival religion in place of God. So God scattered them. And when God scattered them, they took the seeds of their religion with them throughout the world. That's one of the reasons why you find often much similarity in world religions. They go back to Babylon, and they are all ultimately spawned by Satan, who is the father of religion. And they're all going to come back to mother in the end times. That's why John saw the title, Babylon the Great, the Mother of Harlots. All false religion goes back to the Babylon of Genesis 11, and it will all come together in the end times, and it will all be destroyed once and for all. What does God think of all of this? The last phrase in the title is the abominations of the earth. God sees it all as an abomination. He abhors it. He loathes it. He detests it. It's all a bunch of harlotry dressed up to look good to non-discerning people. And those who are discerning enough to stand against this religious system of the end times will pay the price dearly. Verse 6 tells us, John says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. This harlot church will ruthlessly persecute the true believers of the tribulation era. You see, beloved, false religion despises true believers in Jesus Christ. False religion accuses true believers of being narrow, unloving, prejudiced, discriminatory. After all, Compared to this widespread conglomeration, the truth will be narrow. So genuine believers in the true God of heaven and in the Lord Jesus Christ will be persecuted by the harlot church. Isn't that interesting? Not merely persecuted by the Antichrist. Not merely persecuted by the government. Persecuted by the harlot church of the end times. By the way, this won't be new. This really won't be anything new. Down through the centuries, true believers have often been persecuted and killed by various religions and even Christian churches. And I put the word Christian in quotes. 
False religion has killed millions of believers over the centuries. Some people don't like to hear this, but the fact is some historians estimate that the Roman Catholic Church has killed close to 50 million Christians through the centuries. 50 million. You say that's an exaggeration. Okay, 25 million. Half. 25 million. But that's not the only religious system that has done that kind of thing. Religion has always been the persecutor of God's people who know and love and stand for the truth. Who persecuted Jesus? It wasn't really the Romans. It was religious people who persecuted the apostles. It wasn't the Romans for the most part. It was religious people. It's always been this way. Religion has always been the persecutor of God's people who know and love and stand for the truth. However, it will all reach its climax during the tribulation period. The harlot will become drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, this verse says. It's possible that John uses those two designations to distinguish between the Jews who will become believers during the tribulation and the Gentiles who will become believers. In other words, he may be saying blood of the saints, i.e., Old Testament saints, Jewish people, and then, uh, and then the, the blood of the martyrs as a reference to Gentiles. We don't know for sure. Don't know for sure. Maybe he's using them as mere synonyms. But in either case, John clearly understood that the believers of the tribulation era will be violently persecuted by the religious system of the time. As you can imagine, this was a shocking vision to John. He says at the end of this verse, at the end of verse 6, And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. John was stunned. He was stunned. And think about this. John already knew about false religion. He lived during a time when there were many false religions throughout the known world, and especially in the world's capital of Rome. He knew about false religion. He also knew about persecution. He himself was a victim of persecution. Remember, he's receiving this vision, known as the book of Revelation. He's receiving this vision on the Isle of Patmos, and he, has, he had been banished there as a persecution for his devotion to the Lord Jesus and his truth. So John knew about persecution. Religion wasn't new to John. Persecution wasn't new to John. Yet, when he saw this, he says he marveled with great amazement. He knew about false religion. He knew about persecution. But what he saw went far beyond anything he could have imagined. This exceeded anything that could have entered his mind. It shocked him to see Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, dominating and conquering the world in the last days. And it shocked him to see how ruthless and massive the persecution against the believers is going to be in the last days by the harlot church. It shocked him to see that. That this harlot church would be drunk with the blood of the saints in the blood of the martyrs. But the one thing he could take solace in 
is what was said to him back in verse 1 at the beginning of this vision. The angel said to him, Come, come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot. The great harlot will be great. Make no mistake about it. The great harlot will be great. She will dominate the world. She will permeate the world. She will ride on the beast. She will slaughter the true people of God. But she will drink the cup of the wine of the fierceness of God's wrath. God will see to it that she is destroyed once and for all. And so will all those who love her instead of loving the truth. Do you, do you love religion? Or do you love God's truth? Where is your allegiance? To religion or God's truth? The answer will determine your eternal destiny. Let's bow together in closing. <clears throat> Father, like the Apostle John, we, we are amazed when we stop to consider what we have read in these half a dozen verses in Revelation 17, what we have seen here, what was revealed to John about the end times. It's shocking. It is, it is stunning to think about this. Utterly amazing to think that somehow this world is going to be able to come together over religion. A one-world church dominating the end times, getting drunk on the blood of the saints and of the martyrs. Father, give us, give us, please give us wisdom, discernment, insight. May we never forget that insightful statement, with the occult, Satan has trapped thousands, but with false doctrine, he has trapped millions. Oh, how true. Oh, how true. So give us wisdom and discernment to understand truth as opposed to merely religion, religious-sounding words and phrases and the things that are so deceptive to so many people in our world. Give us understanding. Give us insight. Give us discernment. That we do not, so that we would not fall for the deceptions of Satan who loves to work in and through religion. Give us a love for your truth, an adherence to, a devotion to your truth all of our days until Jesus comes, in whose name we pray. Amen.